Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation and chapter 4. And then hold your place there and then find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and uh, put a marker there as well. So we are in week 3 of a series I've titled The Beginning of the End Times. And uh, this is a series that um, I'm excited about and I think every... Christian should be excited as well. Today I come to you and I'm going to be preaching on a topic that many have called the most preposterous ideal in the Bible. Matter of fact, the the verse that you see on the screen of Titus uh, and what it says is that it talks about our blessed hope. Well, today I'm going to share with you a little bit about that blessed hope. But before I do that, I want to review a couple of key uh, principles for us to to keep in mind and the first is this that I shared with you that there's three things I want you to think about each week as you come and as you listen to the the message um, of this series called the beginning of the end times and and the first thing that I asked you to do was don't take my word for it I want you to be like the Berean Christians in Acts chapter 17 and it says that they daily studied what they had been shared with by the apostles to see if it is true Uh, And and I would encourage you that don't just spend the uh, hour here on a Sunday, but go home and invest your time throughout the week. Uh, Because the book of Revelation tells us in verse 3 in chapter 1 that those that read it are blessed, those that hear it are blessed, and those that live according to it are blessed. You know, the second thing I want you to understand is that uh, um, you need to remember that context is king. All right. You have to keep the, uh, when you see different things explained, keep that in the context that is uh, designed. Um, think about it this way. If somebody got a hold of a, a newspaper that is current, um, and, and this was back in the first century, and maybe one of the articles, uh, the lead article uh, said this, Jaguars defeat dolphins. Now, you can imagine how they would look at that. They would think about, they know what jaguars are, and they would think about, they know what dolphins are, and so they'd either believe that the jaguars learn how to swim or the dolphins learn how to fly or flop on ground, um, and they would, they would see that very differently. And, and one of the things I think that you're going you're gonna to learn as you study the Bible is that it changes with the context of our understanding. And the third thing is I want you to keep in mind the whole counsel of the Word of God. While I'll uh, read some uh, scriptures and I am taking us through the book of Revelation, uh, I want you to be more concerned with what the other books in the Bible tell us that confirm what's happening in the book of Revelation. Because they're they're not bringing anything to us new um, that they don't explain to us either through previous scriptures or through the book of Revelation itself. 
You know, last week in week one, I shared with you, or two weeks ago, I shared with you a topic called the fullness of the Gentiles. And today, I'm going to share with you what happens when that occurs. Last week, I talked to you about the Israel's fullness and how that God is not done with the nation of Israel. If you came over to the Going Deeper Bible study, uh, I went in uh, and talked about why God chose Israel. And it wasn't because they were the biggest tribe. It wasn't because they had anything going for them. Matter of fact, God picked a guy who was too old to have kids to make them the, the nation that he would bless the world through. How did he bless the world through them? Through our Savior. And then in Revelation 1.19, it gives us the outline of this book. And it's very simple. It's a three-part outline. The first part is this, uh, that I will show you what you have seen. And this was John actually seeing Jesus sitting on God's throne. And then he showed a second part, and that the second part of the outline was the things that are, and that was the seven different churches. These were seven actual churches in the first century. What's interesting is that the Holy Spirit was able to divinely inspire these letters so that not only did they apply to those seven churches in the first century, but they have applied to every church throughout the centuries. Because even though each letter was named to a given church, it was named, it was for all of the churches to heed. And then the last part, and the part that we're about to dive into, is those that are to take place after this. Next week, I'm going to be starting a four-week uh, series on Daniel's 70th week. But before we get there, there's something that's going to happen, and uh, it happens here in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And let me just read this first verse to you, and it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just ask that uh, you would uh, use the words that you have uh, put on my heart, that I would be faithful to deliver them. Lord, that you would uh, have prepared the hearts to receive your message. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there was a saying, uh, Houston, we have a problem. And, and what I would like to tell you is, uh, it, it would go like this today, Houston, we have a few problems in the church. Not just one problem, but a few problems. And the, the, the problem that I bring to you today is that uh, I'm going to share with you the most preposterous ideal in the Bible. Matter of fact, uh, we as the church have a hard time uh, finding one particular understanding of this. And I came across an article, it's dated back in 2014, and it was, I mean, if you, if you need something important and you can't find it, you know, you can go to this thing called Wikipedia, right? Well, some of you don't know what that is. Well, I didn't find it on Wikipedia. I, I didn't use Google. I actually found this on the news site called CNN. And here was the title of this article from 2014. It said, even Jesus wouldn't buy the rapture. Well, you know, I said, that's too good not to read. And especially uh, preaching this series. And, and so as I skimmed through it, here's a couple of the, the things that the, this article uh, writer brought out and, and he, he says that the rapture notion goes like this Jesus is coming back and when he does he will first return before a time of so-called tribulation calling into the clouds with him those who are saved 
And then he says it's a terrific premise. Jesus returns, calls to heaven 140 million people, leaving behind billions of stupefied, confused, and grief-stricken others. A mother may lose her baby who disappears. A boy's father seems to have vanished as he pushes a shopping cart. Cars collide as drivers go missing. Chaos strikes cities like New York and throughout the world. Horrible suffering will then occur on the miserable earth for seven years. Then Jesus will come yet again for a final judging. There are many different versions of this scenario, so it's difficult to summarize. And again, I'm reading from the article, and it says, It's fair to say, however, that only fundamentalist Protestant churches bother to think about the rapture at all. Well, you know, I I, I may not argue with that last statement because there's not a lot of churches and, and certainly not a lot of pastors who will take on this topic. And as you dig into it, you could probably understand why. And, and, and I'll share with you two reasons. And number one is uh, it, uh, what, what I'm going to term rapturitis. You know, the church has been raptured to death, literally. Where there has been um, a promise of this. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting that Peter talked about this when he wrote his book. In 2 Peter 3, 4, he says that there's a day coming where the scoffer's going to make fun of you and they're going to ask you, where is this coming? Because since Jesus left, the promise was that he's coming at any moment. And folks, that has not changed. He's still coming at any moment. And so let's find out exactly what the Bible says about this. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah uh, had a very interesting take on this and and that is that many churches reflect an apathetic rather than serious attitude when it comes to the return of our lord you know jesus himself warned us in luke 24 i shared this with you and he says don't get caught up in three things foolish living or being intoxicated with this life he called it drunkenness or the cares of this life you know those are the three things that are affecting the church when it comes to rapturitis. That we get caught up in just living lives that don't make any sense. That we, we don't focus on the things that are important. Or we get intoxicated with what ha- happens, whether it's a good job, it's a good career. And, and I just want to tell you, all of those things shall pass. And I don't just mean when Jesus comes back, I mean in this lifetime. If, you're, if you are in a job that you love, one day you're going to retire. And I promise you, they're not going to call you up two weeks after you retire and say, hey, we don't know how to do this. Can you help us out? They're not going to do that. You're going to retire and they're going to forget you. As a matter of fact, if if you didn't invest in your family, that's the only thing you're going to have left after retirement. And that's the only thing that's not going to be there for you if you're not investing in them now. The cares of this life, they're going to be gone one day. You know, we love right now investing some time and energy into our grandchildren. Just yesterday, we celebrated a third birthday. Dinosaurs everywhere, kids running around. It was the hottest day on the planet. But we enjoyed that time. But you know what? There's going to come a time when that little three-year-old boy is going to be 18 years old and he's not going to care about those dinosaurs. He's not going to care about the inflatables. He's not going to care about who, which friends came and saw him. He's probably not even going to be caring about grandma and grandpa about that time. See, the cares of this life are going to move on. And what I want you to think about is, what is going to last forever? What are the decisions that you make that are going to impact you eternally? Because while 
the cares of this life are important and you need to take care of business, there's more things beyond what you see with your eyes. And while the jobs are good and the money is nice and the checks are, uh, you're going to cash them, one day they'll stop. Well, the other problem that we have in the church, if, if it's not rapturitis, and that's where we burned out on the rapture, is called rapture mania. It's date setting. And I just want to tell you, don't do it. All right? Because if you look at the, the date setters, it's amazing what they come up with. You know, the guy who wrote 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988, guess what he wrote in 1989? Another book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come Back in 1989. And he sold a lot of books, millions of books. And you can see by some of those pictures that, that there are people who take dates, and, and I'm telling you the only reason they're putting a date out there is because they want to make some money off of it. Because the Bible is very clear and it tells us no man knows the day or the hour. I mean, come on, at least be a little uh, honest with yourself intellectually if you're going to be a theologian and, and just stay with the year. But these guys go and, and they know what day it's going to happen and why it's going to happen. And this feast, that trumpet, and they put it all together and if for $9.99 they'll tell you why. But all you're going to get out of that is $9.99 out of your bank account. Well, if, if it's not the rapture mania, something else that you're going to hear about is you're going to be told that rapture ain't even in the Bible. Now, before you correct my English, that's the way they'll say it to you. But here's what I want you to understand is neither is the word Trinity. But trust me, there is a Father, Son, and a Holy Ghost. And if you've never met the Holy Ghost, something that's lacking in your life that you need. I've told you as a church that this is one book made up of 66 books. It's authored by 40 different authors over a time period of 1,500 years. And I told you that it was written in three different languages. You're familiar with Hebrew, the Old Testament. You're familiar with Greek of the New Testament. But many of us aren't familiar with Latin. And that's actually where the, the word rapture came from. Um, the Latin word rapamur is used in the Latin Vulgate to translate the Greek word harpazo. And the Greek word harpazo means this, to be seized or taken by force. Now, I want you to understand, God doesn't use words haphazardly. What, what you need to understand is that there is a spiritual battle going on and that there, are, there is an enemy that wants to stop God's plan from happening. He wants to stop it in the nation of Israel. He wants to stop it through the Messiah, which he failed. And he wants to stop it in your life. He's happy if you have a bad day and you decide not to invest any time reading Scripture. He's happy if you don't take a little bit of time and set it aside to pray. He's happy if you don't invest any part of your life. Why? Because he knows you're not going to be effective as a Christian. And that's really all the enemy wants you to do is to not be effective. But I want to share with you, there's multiple examples in Scripture very quickly. Um, I want to go through seven of them. The first one is in Genesis chapter 5, and we, we hear, read about Enoch, and it says that Enoch walked with God, and he was not. Why? For God took him. 
Then there was another guy in 2 Kings in chapter 2. His name was Elijah. And, and as the, they still went on, and this is Elijah and Elisha, and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. If you come back in two weeks, I, I'll share with you, I believe that Elijah and Enoch are coming back to this earth one day. The third person that uh, experienced the rapture is in Mark 16, 19, and it was Jesus himself. And verse 19 says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, which was the picture that we see in Revelation chapter 1 by John. The fourth person was a guy by the name of Philip, Philip and in Acts uh, chapter 8 and verse 39 it reads this, And they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. The fifth example of the rapture in the scripture is uh, Paul himself. And, and this is interesting. He, he says it this way in uh, chapter 12 and verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. The way that we would write that in social media today is asking for a friend. We know when somebody says asking for a friend, they really mean themselves, but they're too embarrassed to identify themselves. And so it's interesting that Paul here doesn't identify himself, but he is the man that was caught up to the third heaven. And now it's, he says it this way, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. You know, in the next couple of weeks, I want to share with you some things that, uh, you know, we, the, the, when the Bible said that knowledge shall increase in the end times, it meant just that. And um, there are things that we are learning and what's, it's challenging to us as Christians because we hear them and we think that it is somehow going to refute what we read in Scripture. And I'm here to tell you that when science has new discoveries, it's, it never, ever refutes Scripture. It validates it. And then it's interesting that they, find, they, they acknowledge what was written 6,000 years ago that they're just now discovering in the 21st century. And he said, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. And what I want you to understand is we have no idea what the spiritual realm looks like. We've been given some um, words here in Scripture that explain things to us, but Paul experienced this and he couldn't explain it. He goes, you know what, I don't know if this is real or not, but God knows. The sixth example was John himself in Revelation 4.1. I started with this verse. After this, I looked up and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the, fir the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Uh, theologians believe that right here was John experiencing the rapture of the church. No more in the book of Revelation do you hear anything about the church. I shared with you that there is coming a time when the, the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And when that happens, it's going to initiate something that we've all been looking for and what Titus uh, called the blessed hope. And the last example of the rapture in Scripture is the one that I'm talking to you about today, and that is the body of Christ. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 17, it says this, Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And in a few minutes, I'm going to break down 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in a little more detail. But before I do that, let me just tell you that this is the point 
when the rapture happens that we will encounter our resurrected body. Now, I know many of you are, are looking forward to the day that you, you take this body and you, you cast it off. And you're not alone because it's, it tells us about this in Scripture. But one day, and then not until the rapture, so when somebody passes away, they don't get their glorified body tomorrow. You know, I, I think that even I have made the mistake of saying that, well, they're in a better place and they're not hurting anymore and thinking that they've got their new glorified body. But no one will receive their glorified body until the rapture. So where, what they, today, all of the, the saints of the church, um, they are with Jesus. Uh, when when, they, when the, the soul leaves this body, they uh, are present with the Lord. But they haven't experienced the glorified body just yet. What does the glorified body look like? Well, we saw Jesus model this in Luke chapter 24. And here's what it says during that uh, chapter. That two guys were walking along and then he just shows up. And when he reveals himself to them, he just disappears. And then the next thing you know, he's at dinner, they're at dinner and he appears in the midst of the room with them. Now, you know, as Christians sometimes, you know, we, if, it, if it's not in the Bible... Literally, word for word, we have a hard time understanding it. But here's what's interesting. Scientists today are coming to the conclusion that there are more than just four dimensions. You know, we know about three of those dimensions, and then Einstein came along and, and he introduced us to a fourth concept called time. But scientists today will tell you that th there is evidence that there are another seven different dimensions. Now, that's the part that, that, that we, we just can't even understand this. I try to use the illustration of uh, when we draw something on paper, we see this two-dimensional. Matter of fact, if I drew it, it'd be a stick person. All right? And, and if this stick person was looking at another stick person, you know, there'd be those little arms, and I wouldn't even be able to get the toes and fingers on it. And if I drew a ball that the, the two little stick people could throw it back and forth to each other, what would the stick person on the paper see? They see a circle. See, the stick person doesn't see like we see in three dimensions. So when we look at ourselves, we see height, width, depth. The, the stick person doesn't do this. Well, that's what happened when, when Jesus came back to the earth in his glorified body. He could do things that it doesn't make sense to us. Matter of fact, um, we like to think about the way that when somebody dies, that the angels are going to come up and fly them up. And um, I don't believe that that's the way it happens. I believe that when this, uh, this soul escapes this body at death, uh, we enter into the spiritual world that, that God created. And a place that we're going to exist in for a long time. You see, uh, we are a soul attached to a body, not a body attached to a soul. When does that soul get attached to the body at conception? The, the Bible uses a Greek word called oikotarion. And this word is talking about our body. And it uses it two times, and each time it's referring to the eternal body. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 reads this way. For we know that if the tent... That's the body that you, you currently see. That is, our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building. Now, think about this. I, I go back to Afghanistan. And when I got over to Afghanistan, for the first month, I lived in a tent. And 
all of us, we wanted to get out of the tent into a building, into a hardened structure. The, it's no different for us as uh, humans. We currently reside in this tent, this human body. But we have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, that's the way Paul explained it, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Oh, I know some mornings you wake up and, and those groans would really like to have some of those aches and creaks gone, wouldn't it? Well, one day that will happen when Jesus comes back. And we will enter our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly oikiterion. In Jude 1 verse 6, it gives us a very different view on this. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, now listen to what God says. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And then he helped them escape from Pharaoh. But yet, do you realize that there were people who saw the ten plagues come upon Egypt? They saw that Jesus or God parted the water. He destroyed the Egyptian army, and yet they still did not believe in him. And what happened was they were destroyed in the desert. A whole generation had to be wiped out. In verse 6 of Jude, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, their proper oikiterion, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And in a few weeks, I'm going to reintroduce you to these guys because they're coming back. You see, the ideal of a resurrected body isn't just in the New Testament, as we might think. But if you go to the oldest book of the Bible of Job, in chapter 19 and verse 25, it reads this way, For I know that my Redeemer lives. There's a song about this. It's awesome. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And listen to what Job said. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. You know, our glorified body is going to be flesh and bones. That's exactly what Jesus said in Luke 24. He says, touch me. He ate with them. Why? Because his glorified body was flesh and bones. Our glorified body one day will be flesh and bones. But you see, there's a part of us that is already eternal and it is longing to be housed in our new bodies. We call it our soul. Romans 8.23, Paul says it this way, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Folks, it's coming. The event of the rapture is going to happen. One day we are going to hear the words, Come up here. You see, it happened uh, in Jesus' day when he walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and theologians uh, argue that if Jesus hadn't said Lazarus before he used the words come forth, everyone that was in there was coming out. And I don't know that they were ready to handle that. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, called only Lazarus, but one day it's going to be a lot more names that are called out. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that uh, in 51, let me read this to you. Behold, I tell you a mystery. There's only a couple times where in the New Testament we hear this concept of, of learning a mystery. It's not a mystery in that you can't understand it. It's a mystery because it hasn't been talked about, hasn't been taught in Scripture up to this point. This is the same Paul who experienced the third heaven, experienced the rapture. And it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. 
but we shall all be changed. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead it will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And when it talks about the dead shall be raised imperishable, what it's telling you about is this concept that is death gets swallowed up in victory. There's coming a day when you and I will no longer have to fear death. But it's depending on what we do with the gift that Jesus has given us, whether or not we'll experience a second death. See, we'll either have two lives or we'll have two deaths. It's our choice. And when Paul talked about this concept called a twinkling of the eye, a lot of times, many times, we call it the blinking of the eye. But no, no, it's much faster than that. Here's what science tells us is that, there, that you can divide time. So if you take a second, you cut it in half, how much time do you have? Half a second. If you cut a half a second in, in half, you have a quarter of a second. All right? Now, I'm not going to do any more public math, but science can cut the, uh, a second into a half 43 different times. That's pretty fast. That's what we believe the twinkling of an eye is. It's the amount of time that it takes a light to reflect off of your iris. That's fast. You know, you, you see the video that we play right before I come up here, and, and it's got the body slowly starting, you know, take off like they're fighting gravity. It ain't happening like that. I, we need that just so you can see it visually. Because if it happened in the twinkling of an eye, you're like, what happened? And folks, one day in the twinkling of an eye, if you have accepted the gift that Jesus has given to us, you will not only have your glorified body, but you will be in the presence of God Almighty. You know, the problem, though, in the church is that we get confused over two different events. And I'm here to tell you that our God and Savior is not the author of confusion. And so uh, on the back of your note taker, you will see that I gave you a, a breakdown of, of some of the things that happened during the rapture and some of the things that happened during the second coming. And, and, and I will go through these in detail at one point, but today I just want to share with you about four of those. The first one is this, that the rapture is an imminent event. That means that there are no other signs, there are no other events that need to happen. Jesus can come back and rapture the church at any moment. You know, it's a concept that we have a hard time with, and 2 Peter 3, 4 explains why it's hard for us to understand that. Because it's been almost 2,000 years. Think about this, church. That when the, God was about to destroy the earth through the flood, he gave them 120 years. He put a preacher out there and he preached for 120 years and yet nobody repented. For the last 2,000 years, he's put thousands if not millions of preachers giving the message. And yet there are still many who haven't repented. So while the rapture is imminent, the second coming follows a definite timeline. Matter of fact, when things start happening uh, that are about to come, that I'm about to preach about, you will be able to predict to the day when Jesus will come again. And what's awesome is we'll be with him when that happens. Another thing that happens during the rapture is that Christ comes for the believers, for his bride, for the church. In the second coming, Christ will be coming with his church. In the rapture, only we will be the ones that see him. Whereas on the second coming, the, the, the scripture tells us that every eye will see Jesus coming back. 
And the last thing I want to share with you on this topic of the two comparisons is that uh, when it comes to the rapture, there's no reference to Satan. Whereas when it comes to the second coming, Satan's going to be bound and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And I want you to understand this, that any reference to the rapture, we don't see anything about Satan. And here's why. The rapture is going to catch Satan by surprise. Turn in your Bibles if you have them with you to Matthew chapter 24. And let me just share with you what Jesus shared. And and I want to do this in such a way that I, I hope that you see that I believe the entire purpose for the imminent return of Jesus is it is going to catch Satan off guard. In verse 36, I'll start reading Matthew chapter 24. But concerning that day and hour... No one knows. That's why we don't set dates. Now listen to who doesn't know. He clarifies this. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. Who's the only person that knows? God, the Father. You probably, you're probably asking yourself, but doesn't Jesus know everything? I'm here to tell you that the Son does not know when he's going to be sent to get the bride, to get the church. In verse 37, it says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Remember, they had 120 years to get ready. We've had 2,000 years. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. You know that God put Noah in the ark a week before the flood? Hmm. He's probably going to do that with the church too. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And now he goes into details and explains this. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, here's where I, I want to demonstrate to you that this is all about Satan being surprised. In verse 43, but know this. That if the master of the house... Who's the master of the house? Who's the ruler of this earth? Who's the prince of the power of the air? That's Satan. Let's read the rest of this and see if if, if you don't understand it the same way. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. You know, this is hard for us to think that Jesus is going to be looked upon as a thief. But to Satan, that's exactly what he's going to be looked upon. And then when you think about the word harpazo and how that it's a taking by force, now you understand a little bit better of this. Verse 34. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect it. And I'm here to tell you, church, that when the rapture occurs, that Satan is going to be like sounding the starting gun for him. I don't know if you've ever watched many uh, sporting events, but in football, they have this uh, tradition called the two-minute warning. And it's crazy. This last Super Bowl, the, the game of the year, the first three quarters, nothing seemed to happen. But as the time started getting constrained and there was less and less time, all of a sudden, the teams that couldn't score 10 points scored 30 points. Satan is going to try to do the same thing. When the church has been removed, things are going to get a little weird down here. Because at that point, he knows he doesn't have much time. 
and Satan will unleash his best destructive efforts. But here's what I want you to understand is, as Christians, we shouldn't be asking, what is this world coming to? The question we should be asking is, who is coming back to this world? David Jeremiah said it best, one minute after the rapture, the subject won't be irrelevant at all. There will no be, be any more of the rapture-itis happening in the church, but everybody will be hungry for this. They'll want to know what happened, those that are left. Let me share with you what happened. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed. And if you read the King James Version, it says ignorant. But we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see, Titus tells us there is a hope that we have. Even when we we put off this body, there is a hope that we will be reunited with not just our loved ones, but with our Savior. Verse 14, for since we be- this, this is what it takes, in case you're wondering. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command... And if you've been in the military, you know what this looks like because if you've ever seen a parade field where there's thousands of soldiers lined up, the leader, he, he gives out commands. And what's interesting is those commands aren't heard by everybody. We call them informational commands. And so, for example, he may tell them that he wants all thousand of those soldiers to salute. He gives a command and he, and he tells his leaders, tell them to present arms. And then all these guys, you hear it yelled out across the field, Present! And then there's a brief pause, and then you hear the word arms, and then everybody goes into a salute. Well, you know, that's, see, the last time Jesus came, he came as a lamb to be sacrificed. The next time he comes, he's coming as the king of kings. And he's going to be given commands, and the commands that he's going to be given are to his archangels. And it says here in verse 16, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Folks, let me just break it down for you. The event of the rapture is very simple. There is going to be a Gentile fullness reached. And when that number is reached and only one person knows what that number is, and who is it? It's God the Father. The Son doesn't know it. The angels don't know it. Satan doesn't know it. And when that happens, the Father is going to give some instructions. And when he gives some instructions, he's going to, Jesus himself is going to yell out, sound the trumpet, and I hope it sounds something like this.
Church, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and the Father tells Jesus, go get them. I believe that those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior are going to hear a sound very similar to that. No one else will. And while that sound's going on, those who have died before, their bodies will be resurrected. You see why this is the most preposterous ideal ever? But their bodies, no matter how they, no matter when they died, no matter how that happened, God knows exactly where every molecule is and is going to bring it back together. See, we, we believe it if we see it on an Avengers movie, but yet somehow we struggle with it when it's from the Word of God. And when that final trumpet sounds and all those who are dead in Christ have been risen, then there's going to be a shout. And I think the shout is going to be this. Ronnie, come up here. The question. Is your name going to be called? Is it going to say, Lee, come up here. Bob, come up here. Are you going to hear your name? That's what's important to us. You know, so in Revelation 4.1, when John, when he was called to come up there and he experienced the the rapture of the revelation, one day each of us has that opportunity. And the question we all have to answer, you don't have to answer it to me, you don't have to answer it to anybody sitting beside you, but the question that you have to answer is, are you ready to stand before God. Because make no mistake about it, and Romans 14, 11 doesn't, and it says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow. How many knees? Every one of them, folks. Past, present, and those that are coming in the future. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You see, after the last trumpet and the dead in Christ have risen... Is Jesus going to be calling your name out? I hope so. But you know what? We don't have to hope. We don't have to wonder. You know, every message I've told you, you need to make sure of your salvation. The Bible tells us that we need to work out our salvation. The reality is this, that many of us, if we were to be taken into a court of law, we would not be proved guilty of being Christians. Because the evidence is not there. But if you go back into 1 Thessalonians and 4, he says it's very simple. What decides whether or not we are Christian? Is it if we come to church every Sunday? No, that's not it. Is it the size of our Bible? No, that's not it. Is it if we sing praise with our hands up or we clap? No, none of those things. What it says is if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins. See, that's the requirement. And here's what I would encourage you, church. If you don't know that, I'd pull out one of those decision cards and on the front, check that box that says committing to Christ. And then as the the worship team comes forward and they're about to lead us in a song, I'm going to the back. When the song's over with, we're going to close in prayer. 
Don't leave today without making sure your salvation. It's worth staying 15, 20 minutes later to find out for sure. It's worth staying an hour and a half if that's what it takes. If you have, if you've ever asked Jesus in your heart and you've never taken that next step of believer's baptism, I would encourage you, fill out one of those cards, mark it off, drop that by. Let's talk about that. August 4th, we are going to have our next baptism service. Does baptism get us saved? No, it doesn't. What it does, it tells the world what's happened inside our heart. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.